0: well hello friends and welcome back to the dinner table you know i'm always so glad to have you guys here it's been such a wonderful week and i had such a fun time with last week's episode and i'm so happy to have my friend michael green with me tonight hi michael
1: hey thanks for having me
0: i'm glad you're here i'm also glad you brought kimberly your girlfriend with you
1: yeah we had some good talks
0: cooking with you guys was a lot of fun too so i'm looking forward to digging into that a little bit more but this morning i was out in the garden poisonous ones we have out here at the property are potentially rattlesnake. Although we've not seen a rattlesnake on our property, uh, water moccasins we've seen in our pond, um, and we've had to, they were being aggressive. So we've had to deal with that. Um, and then we have seen coral snakes, a couple of them. I had never seen any of those guys. Coral snakes have a head that is about the size, at least the one I saw. And I I had understood that they had small heads and small mouths. Mm. The one I saw was a pretty small snake. Um, its head was probably about the size of my thumb. Maybe okay. your thumb. Maybe a little bit bigger than mine, but pretty small.
1: How long was it exactly?
0: Um, it might have been... Two and a half or three feet long. I mean, yeah, how long is that? I'm I'm That's... like the fish person. I'm like, you know, like, yes, it was this long. You know, what's two and a half you feet, You might be right?
1: overestimating a bit. Yeah, I but know. Like, how yeah. dangerous are those snakes exactly?
0: Well, they're venomous. I mean, they're like kill a fella, you know, oh. kind of. But the idea that they could like even get a hold of you really well because, you know, their mouths are so tiny. Tiny little head. Stepping on it, that could be a problem. So the main thing I've thought to myself is, A, I need to warn people when we're out, Mm -hmm. like, in the gardens. Because I have a lot of volunteers and people that come out here to the gardens. But then also just make sure that I, myself, and everyone is wearing boots or closed-toed shoes for a while. While we know that it's, like, hanging around in the garden and there's some up there. Because I have no idea how many. I mean, there might be a a family of them. A family of them. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of holes in my garden this year, I've noticed, Mm -hmm. as I've been cleaning things up. Which holes in the garden could be toads snakes, rabbits, I've found rabbits in holes, I've found shrews, um, uh, ma- mouse, we were cleaning up one the other day. It was the most hilarious thing because it was kind of tucked in a hole and it was one of those mice like Mickey Mouse with the big round ears. Have you seen those guys <laughs> I've yet? Seen,
1: I've seen a couple, Just, Just little ugly ones, but you had an little adorable barn one. This you.
0: one had Mickey Mouse ears.
1: It makes a difference.
0: It jumped out at me. <laughs> I screamed, ah, you know, whatever, but it like, And then last season, this was actually in probably late January, early February, I dig up my um, sweet potatoes that time of year, found a snake in there and I didn't know what kind it was. Um, It was an extremely pissed off yellow belly racer. Oh. Yeah, it was, um, and they're not poisonous, but they're, that I'd i never been struck at by a snake before. And this thing was mad that I woke it up in January. It was like, excuse me, but I was nice and warm and I was perfectly happy in my little um, winter bed inside here. So and, it came at you a little bit? Oh, totally. I mean, it absolutely came. I mean, I disturbed it. I, I literally dug it up. I dug mm-hmm. it out of its hole. You know, I'm really, I'm really getting closer. I mean, I just don't kill things, you know, I, I mean it, If I have a very, very specific issue, I will go after that one specific thing. Now I'm getting used to the fact that I know for a fact, there are black widow spiders out there because I saw one of those the other day, uh, recluse. i have seen those, I've seen those here for sure. Uh, we also have some scorpions out here and so we have a little bit of everything it's like australia
1: out here oh it's totally it's just everything's poisonous and deadly
0: yeah and stings. there's every plant has thorns on it you know (laughs) yeah especially in summertime man it gets it gets rough out here in the summertime yeah i um, am that's been kind of one of the most interesting things i've found about wildlife friendly gardening Mm -hmm. i mean i permaculture and regenerative is like the techniques that i use but i I don't kill things. I well, that's yeah.
1: a big difference between the urban gardening and like country farming. Like you have all those outside pest pressures to deal with. And I really kind of don't nothing nothing larger than, you know, a caterpillar or a tomato hornworm. Really? Not I mean possums, Man. but that's not a huge problem.
0: We had the possum okay, so in town we had possums and then we had all kinds of like um rats and mice around that would eat things. They out here, I have a lot of stuff, but there's not a lot of like problem. They're here.
1: They're they're just around, but they're not causing. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think that's, that's really kind of what I teach about the wildlife friendly gardening and all of thing has a place. If everybody has food and water, then everybody doesn't bother everybody else. Isn't that a natural idea that we can maybe take into like human systems? Like (laughs) like, like if everybody had food and water, then uh, a place to hide. You know, like yeah. go and be in your comfort zone.
1: Yeah. Animals don't eat more than they need.
0: No. Yeah. Oh my God. Now I want to get into a whole nother topic. A book out there by Daniel Quinn called Ishmael. Have you read it or heard of it?
1: I have that book. Um, it's on my reading list, but I haven't gotten to it yet.
0: Put it at the top. Okay. It's it's amazing. that name sounded
1: familiar. Yeah.
0: So it's that one and the story of B is the one that's yeah. right after that. That subject just made me think about how... They're, they're, that's part of the conversation is how humans, we're trying to store our food, because we think we could be going without, that we'd have to fight for or whatever our, and we've basically, what I, I feel like we're awakening to now is that we've, we've learned to use our consciousness in the wrong way, turned it into a fear thing Mm -hmm. and, and then separated ourselves from other people and then started projecting our problems on other people and then started fighting with other people and fighting for things with other people. Um, so anyways, Ishmael kind of goes into some of that, but it particularly talks about how we store you know, uh, uh, the story of B, which gets brought up by Ishmael, um, is the idea that B eats a and a eats C and they're humans. Right. So that's kind of the story he's telling, well, we don't eat more than we need, but we eat a, and what if, if we didn't eat B, then that would be too many B. And then we'd eat C, you know, so it was like this unconscious, like humans eating human story, right? Okay. Which seems like to us, like, oh God, that's horrible. But really, if you didn't, I mean, what do animals do? That's exactly <laughs> what they do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they don't overeat. They're not like storing uh, 12 bees to make sure that the A's don't come along and try to steal the bees. They're just, and there might be some situations of protection that occur in animals, but that doesn't even really, usually they, they their systems of protection are actually hiding or moving, mm-hmm. getting away from things. So speaking of interesting books and crazy philosophical conversations uh you guys started talking about the foundation
1: yes foundation it's a so i have not read the novels myself Uh i do like asimov quite a bit but um the show the show is really good and i've been enjoying a lot and um i'm finding it really interesting and kind of poignant especially right now i mean that society in in this story is um so afraid of the future that's predicted that Uh they're ignoring it or actually exacerbating the problem. And that seems like kind of us, what we're doing with climate change right now is we're either ignoring it or making it worse. And, um, I don't know, I just find that the correlation between that show and it's a big sci-fi epic and our Mm -hmm. current situation is Mm -hmm. is very, very similar. And I, I find that interesting.
0: I always feel like that's a part of me where I've had that like visionary concept because I've always been extremely interested in like philosophical dystopian stories. And I, I read the foundation, I don't know, it's probably been about 15 years ago, but I was going through an interesting, like, um, awakening that I wouldn't say necessarily stuck, um, (laughs) because I got too analytical about things and whatever, but back in 2010, which is probably about the time that I read that book. Um, I was very, it was almost as if I could see these things that were coming. And, um, and if I would, at that point, if I would have tried to talk to anybody outside of the kind of the philosophical people that were speaking about that and writing books about it and stuff like that, um, people would have straight up thought I was a crazy, I mean, even five or 10 years ago, even before the pandemic, people would have thought I was straight up, probably did think I was straight up crazy conspiracy theorist, you know, whatever. And no one wanted to hear my the joke about uh, you need to make sure you have food available to you, you know, like Mm. in case of a zombie apocalypse, you know, now I don't even have to make the joke anymore. I'm like, like, you need to make sure you have food, you know,
1: everyone knows that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, But I don't want to scare people either, which has been a huge part of my challenge in the work that I do. Well, I mean,
1: it's not about inciting fear in people, but you have to let them know that, you know, there's possibilities of this and there's ways to help to like, you don't have to be afraid of it. There's ways that you can make it. So it's not really a problem. Just know that there's that possibility. And here's, here's how you plan for that. You know, here's, here's how we can help.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that that is really, really where the direction of my faith and my purpose is leading me right now is just keep showing people what feels good to you. Like what is happening? That's good about what you're doing out here. And like today I had somebody call me and ask me, um, they had, they said they had met me and they were, they, they think they need me to come and do a consultation on their property. Do I come and do a consultation on their property? And so I basically spent a little bit of time telling them, you know, what I do, because I think the most important thing I need to share with people in the beginning when I'm first having a conversation is like, what's my philosophy about gardening? because it's very different than what the old school traditional ways that we've been teaching people how to garden for such a long time and the way we've been doing agriculture and the thing about it is and i mentioned this to you guys when we were out there walking around there's certain things like you you just can't even compare it to the way your granddaddy did it because the cost of gas was 75 cents a gallon back then or even cheaper um, even when it went up to a dollar twenty-five, when I was, you know, uh, 19 or whatever is still over $3 now, over three fifty a lot of times, you
1: there's know, a, there's a lot of factors. There are a lot of factors that are just different yeah. fundamentally from the way the previous generations were doing things. And yeah. I mean, I was, I was taught gardening by my grandmother and I don't mm-hmm. do it. There's very little similarities to the way that she does things and the way that I do things. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, she has nice, neat rows of things and everything's right. very yeah. well-kept and pretty and mine, you know, it's a little bit messy. Yeah. So it's, it's a little messier. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit more natural looking. Yeah. Messier. It's not so organized, not so neat. I don't like a lot of straight lines so much. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't, it just looks weird to me. For yeah. plants to be in a straight line. Yeah, it like, is. I don't it like is. it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like,
1: you know, I like like a bunch. I like a little, a bunches uh-huh. of things. I think that looks nice. Uh-huh. Um. So there's just, it's just a different, I mean, not only are we learning new methods, but also the environment's changed around us. And I mean, everything has changed around us. So we have to adapt. Um, It's cold at different times of the year. It's colder or or hotter at different times of the year than we've ever experienced. The extremes are going wildly from one end to the other, and um, maybe our plants haven't gotten used to that, but we need to be aware of it and get them used to that, I think. Yeah. Um,
0: Yeah. Well, and align with, I always say align with nature and aligning with nature gets it back to where I'm never going to be able to convince you, especially with the cost of gas and all that. I'm never going to be able to convince you after a couple of seasons of spending so much money on a garden that you're never going to, you might as well just go to the grocery store and buy it, Mm -hmm. even if you're buying organic or whatever so it's not just that part of it but it's also the part of it where you where i say there's a mental spiritual and physical healing that occurs in the garden above and beyond all of that and so to explain that to people so that we begin to understand what makes the return on investment where how do we actually get something sustainable here you know and it can't just be we talk about sustainability we have to actually create sustainability and so for me being able to say okay, well, what I'm learning from the garden, and now I've been gardening and teaching, I've been gardening for 25 hard years, actually more than that, but gardening myself as an adult for 25 years, and then teaching gardening for so many years that we get to the point where it's, I, all I'm trying to do is show you that I learned more. Math, science, uh, uh, st- basically more STEM than they ever thought about teaching me in the school system. Right? I've um, I've healed dealing with tra- the trauma of the traumas I've dealt with in life. Just this long list of built an entire entrepreneurial business around this concept of growing, and that's not necessarily what I'm trying to encourage everybody else to do, but it's a way for me to get away from saying. If you don't do this, you're going to be without, like, Mm -hmm. even when I see those memes now, I'm like, uh, well, if you don't, if you don't grow your own food, you're going to starve to death. And I'm like, stop it with that. You don't want to show them what they (laughs) won't have. If
1: they don't show them what they will have, if they do. Exactly. And I I think that's a, that's a difference.
0: I appreciate that very much. Now is a really, really good time for people. If they want to schedule a consultation with me contact me about that. And then we're also scheduling a lot of educational farm tours right now as the temperatures start to cool off and you're getting your stuff ready. Even if you plan to get hard gardening until the springtime, it's still a really, really good time. Now's the time to get everything ready. Somebody was talking to me the other day about wanting to plant their wildflowers and I was talking to them about how much preparation have you already done? Like I prepare a season ahead of time for a brand new garden. There's a time and that's the one thing. It's kind of like, I I always talked about that with like, there's an investment, ahead of time investment that I have to put into having really successful long-term gardens. This is not a done in a day project where you go in and you tractor up everything and then you plant 40 tomatoes that oh, all die. And you no, know, like that's not what's happening anymore. No.
1: Well, like it takes years to exactly. get a well-established garden bed. Yeah. Like, it takes years and years of, of constantly adding, you know, yeah. compost and mulching and doing all these things and trying not to disturb the soil so yeah. that, you know, all the microorganisms are happy and all that stuff. And yeah. it's a process. And exactly. You know, it's important for people though, to realize that you do literally start at the ground up when we're gardening. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: like, if you're gonna put money into it, put it into your soil. If that's if yep. you're gonna do inputs, that's where it should be going always and continuously. Yeah. And you'll never be done with it.
0: I always say I'm a soil farmer and I also grow <laughs> vegetables. Seriously. And I'm I'm very like thoughtful about I want to show people. And I so that to me, that's to kind of circle it back around and not scaring people, right? To me, it's about doing it and then sharing what you're doing and how it's impacting your life in a positive way. Mm -hmm. That's how we teach people rather than scaring the crap out of them with all things that could potentially be conspiracy theories. Or even when it comes to like the foundation, that, that book, the idea there is you can some potential, I think it's called like the glass ball or something like that, where there's a software system that the military complex, our government, the military basically created where they, believe that they have the ability to predict things, the mm. thing about it is that they've learned, or as I understand it, they've learned, and this is essentially what, you know, gets talked about in the foundation too. And that is that once you create a prediction, right, even if it's a AI prediction or something like that, the moment you look at that prediction, you actually change the prediction because yeah. just an an engagement in anything changes the course of it, right? So taking all of that stuff and saying any of, the, any of the predictions that you're using to scare people with are not only scaring people, but they're also not really factual. They're not actually correct. Yeah, they can't be. Yeah, right? they can't be. Exactly.
1: Purple basil. I have two types of purple basil. Uh-huh. I have opal and um, purple ball basil.
0: I think I have opal right now. Is opal a little bit like variegated, like green and yes. purple? Okay. I, I'm pretty sure I have that one. Quite a few of those. Uh I don't think I have any cinnamon ones but I do feel like I tried to plant some of that one. The
1: cinnamon one is it's it's nice. It's really interesting. I don't mm-hmm. know like I haven't thought of any really good uses for it yet mm-hmm. but um it is an interesting. It doesn't smell like cinnamon bark. It smells more like like imperial candies like red hots. It's uh-huh. a, it's a very it's an unusual scent. It's really nice actually. Ice and cream. Then,
0: you can make ice cream with it. That'd be fun. Oh, that
1: does sound actually <laughs> nice or like a sorbet. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah,
0: yeah.
1: The lemon basil is it's really noticeable that one you kind of always know if you brush against it it's like that's the lemon basil uh-huh. i mean it looks a little different for one but it just smells like lemons it smells very strongly of lemon yeah. it doesn't have that deep anise flavor yeah or anise scent it's more just citrus bright citrus
0: yeah and then i have but the holy basil is a little bit more um sought after you mm-hmm. know because yes. of its medicinal effects and stuff like that and then i make a tea this time of year where I use my Roselle and, um, and what are combo. the
1: medicinal effects of the, um, holy basil?
0: <sighs> Somebody asked me that the other day. It's one of those plants where if you look up the medicinal benefits, it's like, it's like everything. everything. Yes.
1: Yeah. Like ginger. Yes,
0: exactly. So it's like, I don't know why I can't retain, but the reason I can't retain is cause it's like, oh, it helps you with everything. I'm just, like, okay. Just, just
1: introduce it into your diet. <laughs> yeah, just, just
0: keep it in there. Just keep it in there. Exactly. The all basil season I'm, you know, keeping Uh, holy basil tea and drying holy basil and using it for everything and then i had these big huge i think there were lettuce leaf basil this year i think that might have been some of what we were using but the like massive leaves really Mm. nice stuff Um, how do you find
1: the flavor of those compared to the smaller it reminds me
0: of genevieve or just a basic italian you know like the those sweet basils and stuff Mm -hmm. like that like your basic um your basic basil. It's a basic basil. It just got <laughs> these giant leaves. So, of course, that's what um, went into the recipes that we made tonight.
1: Um, yes, we used a lot of it.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, and I try to – I mean, there's not a ton of things that I'm harvesting out of the garden right now this time of year. But I try to stick with whatever we're going to cook for the night
1: mm-hmm.
0: being something that I'm overloaded. But, I
1: don't remember the last time I've done that. But even then, even if I am looking at the recipe, half the time I'm probably going to deviate in some way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm probably going to do something different.
0: Completely different and play Just, with it. Yeah. Yeah. So this recipe was the, um, it called for chuck roast. I, I don't know whether that's what I had or not. <laughs> doesn't really matter. It was beef stew meat. It's meat of some sort. Yeah, exactly. I know it was beef. I know that it was um, grass fed, good quality beef. That's what I know. Um, olive oil. And then it said salt and pepper, uh, beef broth, and then diced tomatoes. So before you guys even got here because it wanted it to cook for 60 minutes, I threw all of that stuff into my Dutch oven. Of course, I browned the meat first and then um, threw in the beef broth and the tomatoes. And it called for an Italian herb blend seasoning. But you guys know that I make all these different salts, and a lot of them have a basil and oregano and all this good stuff in them. I'm really
1: interested in those salts, by the way. I'd like...
0: I've got, I make a pizza salt that always has um, basil, oregano, some hot pepper in it either some habanero or cayenne or whatever and then i usually put some garlic in it as well so it's basically like what i would put on top of my vegetarian pizza or whatever to sprinkle on top of that
1: i'm gonna want to know about your process for making these salts because i i've I've been wanting to infuse my own salt as well just for not for cooking but more for my bar bar purposes yeah okay
0: um... so i'll tell you exactly how it works um it's i do an 80 20 so 80 would be my herbs and my garlic or whatever um and then I do 20% salt if you were going to make sugar it would basically be the same thing the thing about it is is that salt helps to cure things. So that's part of the reason why I, um, started doing it. So I was almost like preserving my herbs. I mean, that was the intention from the very beginning was to try to preserve my herbs. And so you get into cilantro season and then cilantro turns to coriander. So I've got coriander salt, cilantro salt. I make, I use Cuban oregano and make a ton of oregano salt out of it. I just started the other day making one I call my superstar salt and it's got moringa malabar and purslane in it mm. and then the salt so okay. after i i basically chop it in my food processor um and it just dry nice or and, fresh? Uh, fresh fresh yes so i'm putting it in direct because i need a little bit of moisture in there for it and then i spread it out on a cookie sheet and i set my oven as low as you can set your oven it's it's so simple to put it in the oven it's just that it's going to take depending on what like the the stuff that's more liquidy, it's gonna take me a little bit longer. But the basil used to it doesn't have a ton of water in it, mm, you know. Just yeah. So you can just. And kind it's of so aromatic it really anyway. Nice and, like you yeah. get
1: a lot of like oils out of that. And, Absolutely. Like, a lot of aroma uh-huh. for sure.
0: And I can just toss it around every for a couple of hours, and it turns out really good. So that's a really good way to use that. And so I used those seasonings um, on the meat instead of using an Italian herb blend or whatever, because I'm making my own. This recipe actually calls for fennel seed. And I love that it says probably optional, but recommended. Well, I didn't want to buy a whole entire container of fennel seed. And I don't have that right now, but I love that. It's like, okay, you can leave it out, but we wouldn't suggest that you leave it out. You should add it in. So I probably should have added it in because that's kind of judgy. It's a little judgy. (laughs) Yeah.
1: you can leave it out, but we're gonna like we're gonna look at you a little bit.
0: Yeah, like you didn't make it really tasty. You're gonna get it's not some gonna side be So delicious it. as uh, one of my onions that I was able to use. I did harvest green peppers out of the garden today. The two small zucchinis came from HEB organic section. They did not come out of my garden. However, I do have beautiful, beautiful zucchini plants out there right now that are going to be I setting very soon.
1: I saw them. They look yeah, nice. they're
0: like moving along very fast up in the front. I've got some more mushrooms. Okay. Do you shop at HB I do. Do you go through the produce aisle and look for the fifty percent off stuff? Or Always. Not? Okay, I love this. I'm like, I want. I'm like, I don't know why I didn't had a didn't have such a good connection with that, but now that's the first thing I do is it's look good for stuff. Yeah. The fifty percent off. So my mushrooms, the cut ones, were like four to five dollars more than the whole ones that had a little twenty five percent off on them. And then I did this other thing. I bought a two bundles of brown bananas they had bagged up and they were organic bananas and i just stripped the peels off of them and wrapped them in plastic and put them in my freezer so i can use them in the future but it sounds like you guys do that too
1: yes it's a it's a, it's the move like yeah. as soon as they're starting to turn and like and maybe we're not caught up and we like yeah about one or two a day maybe yeah. but once past that i can't i can't eat much more banana than that so we'll throw them in the freezer and it works out nicely because i in smoothies yeah, then i put them in my smoothie and uh-huh. my smoothie's cold uh-huh. i like a cold smoothie so
0: i was even thinking that like i i used to always just eat them for like i like the way a frozen banana tastes it's oh. it might as well be like ice cream to me so i was thinking well here's a really nice like fun because ice cream's not something i can eat right now because i'm not eating dairy and sugar okay. and all that kind of stuff frozen ice cream <laughs>
1: There's always money in the banana stand. <laughs> I like that.
0: <laughs> you can put some um, carob mixed in with it and some strawberries and make yourself like a chocolate banana smoothie.
1: Okay. That's like kind of a banana split almost. Mm. It's like somewhat banana
0: split ish. Yeah. So good. So good. Okay, so all that stuff was good. Then, of course, it had basil in it. So we threw in a bunch of basil at the end. So what did you think of the, um, the recipe?
1: The recipe was great. I think I could have done with more basil in the stew itself. Yeah. In the stew, I could like – Because it
0: wasn't a shocking flavor.
1: It, was, it wasn't um, big in there, especially it was cooked down. Um, uh-huh. I think we could have thrown a lot more basil in there and gotten away with it.
0: Well, dang, I'll do that next time because yeah. I've got plenty of basil right now. I've been harvesting ridiculous amounts of basil. I took over two, two gallon bags of basil, uh, tubalinos the other day. Cause she called me and she was like, cause, cause I'm on off season right now for them. Cause I usually deliver, um, every other week or so with them and I'm, but I'm in the the break season. And she's like, I need something, please. What do you have? And I was like, I've got basil, Malabar spinach, okra, and some canned pears. She's like, I want it all. <laughs> like, so I took giant bags of basil and I still have plenty. Like I still have basil everywhere. Yeah. Oh, I
1: like to say that um, basil is a glutton for punishment. <laughs> like you go in and chop it up and it's going to bounce right back. Oh, yeah, yeah. It kind of like enjoys it a yeah. little bit. It doubles. It's like, like
0: yeah. oh, I'm just going to make more of me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the other big thing that I made just recently, the other day was, um, black eyed peas, which I'm harvesting, um, Crowder peas, purple whole peas. Like I'm not super because my stuff is kind of like we talked about. It's not all perfect. It's mm-hmm. not all perfectly rowed and you know, whatever. Um, when I go out to harvest peas, Southern peas or whatever, I harvest everything all at once. It all goes into the bag. I do snaps okay so you know snap is in the black okay so um i shell peas but then i take i harvest all the peas all at once and the younger ones are what would be considered the snap and so I had frozen some last year in a ziploc bag. And I was kind of concerned that they weren't gonna turn out that great because I thought maybe I had like over blanch. Mm-hmm. I had blanched them, but then they got a little bit of like ice frozen, like like that
1: Oh yeah, they like got those crystals they... on them. Yes. Yeah.
0: So then I wasn't sure whether I had done them right, but I threw it in the instant pot with some chicken broth and some of my seasonings of some kind, I don't even remember which one. And delicious. I ate on them. I ate ate like bowls of peas (laughs) when I was in college. Uh, that was one of the things that I like lived on was that I would go and get cans of peas and just like pour it in a pot and just
1: black eyed peas or just peas, black eyed peas. peas.
0: I mean, I eat, I actually eat regular peas too. The little, the ones with the little onions and the little mushrooms in them. Those are my favorite. That's my favorite variety but I haven't really, I don't eat canned foods anymore and we can't really grow. I mean, we can grow uh, sugar snap peas sugar around here, but it's peas, such a yes. small window and I eat those all raw and I fresh. Eat them,
1: I eat them like raw in the garden. garden. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly that's so usually right. my <laughs> breakfast. That's usually my breakfast. They don't make it inside. I don't yeah. think any of them ever made it inside. It's just right there.
0: That's what I do too. And so, um, but yeah, no, I love, love black eyed peas. That's, that's somebody asked me the other day, okay, so what's your favorite vegetable? And I was like, Well, I don't know if you would even consider it a vegetable. um, But black-eyed peas is my favorite. Southern peas are my favorite.
1: That's a big question. I don't know. That is to me too. I'm like, I love beans. I love beans. Yeah, I I grew Uh up on beans. But I don't know if I'd say that's my favorite. But I don't know. I don't know what is my favorite.
0: I love love cucumbers. You love squash. I love squash. I learned to love squash better when I started growing it. But because I think you can cook it so many different ways. Like well, for one thing, a lot of people. Uh, my age for sure, probably yours as well, that they, the way that things got cooked, you know, it was just like, we never really tasted vegetables. Oh, yeah. Like, and everything was canned and Mm -hmm. it was all cooked, like steamed with like butter all over it. They were always
1: trying to hide the flavor of the vegetable. Yeah. Like make it into some unrecognizable mush that goes with your meat.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I was not a fan of squash when I was younger. And now I eat squash like, well, I mean, 8,000 ways. Have you made, um, do you have a dehydrator? I do. Have you made zucchini chips yet?
1: No, I made zucchini (sighs) cake.
0: Oh, I I like zucchini zucchini cake is excellent too. But zucchini chips are, you will start, you will become like, I want to grow more zucchini person. So just
1: thin slice, dehydrate. Yes.
0: Yes. And except that I toss it in um, olive oil and nutritional yeast. And nutritional yeast is excellent for that. Or kale chips, both of those. Actually, I use nutritional yeast for a lot of things. I make my basil pesto with nutritional yeast and all of that. So it's a a nutty, cheesy flavored ingredient that doesn't have nuts or cheese in it. So it's great for people that do- um,
1: Don't have cheese or nuts.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or cheesy nuts, whatever. Cheesy nuts. (laughs) Yeah, so, um, and then I made us a salad Using the red wine vinegar, which is a thing, because now every week we're having red wine vinegar on all our salads. It was delicious. Had okra, fresh okra in it. Do you eat okra fresh like that ever before? I've
1: never had it fresh before. That was my first time having it fresh like that. Besides, you know, just off the plant, Um, I liked it. I liked it. The only
0: complaint I noticed about it this time, and it may be because of just the the. Temperature changes in the weather or something like that, but it was the the okra was a little bit like it had some stringy like the drippy part of okra. <laughs> I mean,
1: I feel like that's just that just comes with it. That just right? is it's what just what it is. It's you just, just what, it it is. Like, it's what it is. That's just how it's going to be.
0: Yeah. So I put that red onion, tomato, cucumber. I think that's it, and then just yep. tossed it with the red wine vinegar and, and some the basil salt.
1: and more basil in that. But oh it was, yeah, it was really good. That was a really yeah. good salad.
0: And then I added my purple salt to the top of it which is i use the malabar spinach seeds which you can dye things with malabar spinach they've dyed my
1: fingers a bunch of times
0: yeah yeah that's kind of fun and that's the thing i mean have you ever tried making a drink with it just because you can dye the no
1: i haven't but i should it's
0: got a little bit of a flavor to it but it's not like enough to like
1: like a very tart blueberry Mm -hmm. something that's about how i would describe them
0: yeah yeah I took some of that over to Blino's. I'd be curious whether they used it because I gave them a nice little bundle to play with. Because one of the things they do is they make um, every week on the farm to table menu, they have a special cocktail now that is a farm to table cocktail. And, um, so that's one of the things they were specifically like, uh, we need something to make, you know, an interesting drink out of. And they play with all kinds of things. Phoebe was telling me the other day that they, um, used eggplant to make a drink the other day. And I was like, what? I was like, I need to go back and find out what the heck they did with an eggplant.
1: I'd I'd be curious to know myself. (laughs) Right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I have felt like I've been really exhausted today, especially, you know, I'm paying a lot of attention to my body health and what I'm eating and how I feel, you know, and, I think that one thing to be really considerate about is that yeah the season has changed and i'm out in the garden a lot more i'm doing a lot more harvesting a lot more planting so like in the heat of the summer i mean you can hardly even spend that many hours outside. oh you can't you just yeah. can't
1: you have to take like i was taking constant breaks and then still yeah. later in the night just exhausted from earlier in the day right it was a it was very it was odd for me I, I had to get used to that that feeling of just if i went out and worked in the morning i would be tired later at night and i'm not, I'm not really used to that it kind yeah. of sounds like it makes sense but i wasn't used to that yeah you know i thought i'd walk it off and yeah. but these summers have been very rough lately
0: yeah it was really hot this summer we had such a pleasant spring and then june got here yeah. and oh my god it, no, was, it
1: came in like a hammer
0: yeah it yeah. did it did and so i would find that like if i could get an hour and a half of work in the morning and then maybe try to get another hour and a half you know in the afternoon like late and we we're talking about you know and then if you think about like now trying the daylight hours is always kind oh, yeah. of a thing so it's like now i'm up still wide awake at nine o'clock at night working mm-hmm. outside and now i'm trying to get myself to like and i would find myself going to sleep at like one o'clock in the morning and this time of year Um, I'm working outside for longer hours, but it's really wearing me out, but I'm starting to get back into, like I've mentioned a little bit of the harvesting and stuff. It's my, this is one of my most favorite seasons for harvesting because I start to get to harvest a Roselle and I am just, I'm such a huge fan of Roselle.
1: I saw yours out there. They're very pretty.
0: Yeah. And I've got. Several of them in this back garden that you guys got to see. And then I've got more in the two front gardens. I've got a couple of gardens in the front that have big, nice bushes on them. I was really very adamant about trying. And I started seeds this year. So all of those are from seed. I had three different varieties this year. I had the um, the cranberry hibiscus, which has got a really pretty like maroon colored leaf. Real nice tart flavored leaf too. So the leaf as well as the flower is really tasty. I didn't know that. Yeah, and you can eat anything of the Roselle plant. You can eat even the other one. You could use in your salad. Maroon colored hibiscus, cranberry hibiscus leaves are really f- flavorful. Spring this year, and like put them in the ground as early as I could get them in the ground. I think they were already in the ground you start by them March. Indoors? I started them indoors. I did not I did a pretty decent job getting them started with seeds, and I actually saved a lot of seeds from my Saint Nevison kits last year. Oh. So I, I – a lot of what I replanted this year was my own seeds and I was really – that was even better. It's a really than,
1: good way to save money, honestly. That's, really, really good way to save money.
0: Yeah. Well, it's a huge – that's a huge deal all across my garden where things come up on their own and they have their own seasons. Like my – Um, celosia, I don't even, I have this beautiful hot pink spire celosia. It's got maroon leaves on it, which all of that's edible by the way, in addition to the fact that it makes beautiful floral arrangements and things like that, but it has its own season and it comes up on its own every year at certain times, the holy basil start coming up on its own. Well, a lot of the basil will come up on its own, Mm -hmm. but particularly the holy basil is really good for that. Um, I see a lot of that and that's a part of, you know, letting things seed out.
1: I wanted to ask about the Roselle. What um, what uses could people get for those? Ah, what could, could they find for those?
0: It's it's super easy to make a tea out of or a juice out of. Some people call it a juice or whatever. But you, you've got the flower that looks like the okra flower, you know, real pretty little flower. That flower fits inside of what's called a calyx. And it's kind of this, um, I don't know if you would call it like, Oh, what's the texture of that? Like almost like a, it kind of has a plasticky feel to it. It does.
1: It's kind of a waxy texture. Yeah,
0: waxy, right? Okay, so that's the part that you're actually going to use. It's called a calyx. You break that off and then you pop the seed part out of the center of it. And then what's left of that is these little like waxy leaves, basically. That, just like you would boil black tea basically just throw it in the water boil it let it steep and then strain out the material that's left and then you've got the juice or the tea left in the in the pan that's the thing i start using it for immediately as i mean and it's very very people are very happy to have it number one because a lot more people are learning about on the market it's called hibiscus tea um, yes. Yeah. So the red tea, it's really good for your heart. It's really enlivening, you know, so I use it for that. Um, I make a really nice, pretty Christmas blend dried tea that I sell and that people really like that. The other thing that, like,
1: like Mexican Jamaica.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's the same, same.
1: basically essentially the same, except that's hibiscus flowers, but the flavor is very similar between hibiscus flower and the roselles, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. And, um, well, and they're the same plant family. So, Mm. I mean, really they're not, they're 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 very similar.
1: Just kind of bred in two different directions. Yep,
0: exactly. Um, and so then the other good, really awesome thing you can do with them in your kitchen is um, make a jelly out of them. The jelly tastes very much like cranberry sauce. So to me, it's like we should be using that down here in our region or island regions or southern regions instead of using cranberry because we can't grow cranberry. We can grow that. It doesn't make
1: any sense, right?
0: <laughs> Plus, it's got natural pectin in it. Mm. And in that little seed pot in the center you basically can make, um, Roselle jam out of like water Roselle and and, yeah, and that's it. yeah. Yeah. And so we made a lot of that last season. Um, so that's the other big thing to make with it. Of course you can make, if you make that juice with it, you can make all kinds of drinks with Roselle. And, uh, I saw some people making some really pretty, like using it for cake. And so, I mean, I think if you take it and make it into like strain it out and make it into that juice, you could just do anything with it. You wanted to
1: Could use it as like a flavored dye if So if you want to uh-huh. like for cakes and things like that also, that's it. Yeah. A,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm harvesting that I'm harvesting some of the bell peppers, like I said, for dinner tonight, um, ridiculous amounts of basil, uh, a little bit of the black eyed peas, although they're starting. And then I'm planting tomatoes, peppers, squash, but I'm kind of getting into the window where now I'm like, if it's more than 60 days, I'm like, oh, I got to get it in the ground today. (laughs) You know, because if you think that out, it's like, when is our first frost date? Well, generally we try to consider that we're going to start having frost in December. December 23rd was actually a really good date because then I could start my broccoli all over again, like right away. and And then it didn't freeze again. So it's like... What I love is having one good hard freeze, but I want it to come in like mid January, like boom. And just like, I got tomatoes a little longer. I got peppers a little longer, my broccoli, everything, cauliflower, you know, whatever. And then as soon as that freeze comes, I'm just going to start pretending like we're not going to freeze anymore. And I just keep planting like it's going to be spring already.
1: Ignore the last frost date.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't, I actually don't. I, after the year that it froze on February the 14th, yeah, like the that, day that, that we probably all put our tomatoes in the I used to
1: ignore it. I used to ignore it just all the yeah. time. And yeah. since then, yeah. now, I'm, now I'm kind of a little scared, actually. Yeah. I wait a little bit too long now, yeah. I think. I think <laughs> I'm overcorrecting now.
0: Yeah. Well, I just have gotten in habits of planting things like, okay, so right after we're going to have a frost, the first seeds I'm going to put in the ground are radishes because that means... I've got 28, 23, 25 days, whatever, before I've got something. Mm -hmm. Of course, I mentioned to you that I harvest my sweet potatoes, you know? So it's like, I think like that, like, what's the thing that I can get quickest, right? And so then I play with a little bit of that, like, as soon as February 14th hits, I don't go put my tomatoes in the ground or my peppers or any of that kind of stuff, but I will put things in the ground that are really... You know, fast, and if they froze, I wouldn't. Nothing I wouldn't be worried about it. So maybe another run of lettuce or yeah, some romaine, you know, or something
1: easy like that. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's kind of how I do it. And so, um, just all of the different planting. Well, like, what kinds of things are you getting into? Are you starting to plant again already? Right.
1: Um, yes, I recently planted. I put down a lot of beans um, just mm-hmm. to put some nitrogen in the soil. Um, yeah. I do have my squash and pumpkins in. Mm-hmm. I'm doing. Uh, let's see. I'm doing loofah squash, um, zucchini. And pumpkins. Those. So are, you're
0: kind of doing like a bumper crop of squash and beans. Are you doing like yes. green beans? Is that what you're uh, talking about? Yes, green uh-huh. beans. Yeah. yeah,
1: not dry. Um, uh-huh. Green beans actually. Uh, pole. I'm doing pole and bush beans, just mm-hmm. depending on the spot in my yard where I need to add some nitrogen. Yeah. Just for just to have ground cover, to have something in the yeah. ground, just to keep it going. Yeah. Um, just so it's not just dead soil there, um, and I find the beans do a really good job of that for me, and uh-huh. then. Once i get the green beans off of them i just leave the roots roots in the ground chop them off at the Uh at the ground level and let those decompose in there and keep building the soil
0: yeah that's what i do with black eyed peas like that's i mean i use green beans for that too but but that's a huge reason why i just keep planting black eyed peas and stuff like
1: that i mean beans they're down Mm -hmm. here they're pretty resilient they'll Uh just kind of grow through anything Mm -hmm. and i like that so just anytime you want to put them in the ground you're probably going to get something out of them, which is, which is nice. It's nice to have a plant like that here. That and peppers, of course, peppers are.
0: Man, I had some good peppers this summer. Really? I did.
1: They survived through that. They thrive in that. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. I, uh, had the most beautiful Tabasco peppers this year. Mm -hmm. Um, cayenne peppers. I've never, I've never had as good of hot peppers as I had this last year. So they must've really liked that. Um, Hot, 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 but they were like red. I mean, they weren't. You know, there was no like. They went from there's a pepper on there's a flower there's a pepper. It's a red pepper. You know, and usually you're used to sitting there and waiting waiting, waiting and waiting for a turn. Then you just start taking the green ones and yeah, whatever. So um, and then will you will you plant broccoli cauliflower that kind of stuff or do you not really do that kind of stuff? I don't
1: do the um. I don't do so many of the brassicas. Mm -hmm. Um, Um, my yard the. Pest pressure for those particular plants is pretty high on those. So I've -hmm. I've tended to stay away from them over the years. I'm in my, I want to say seventh season now. Uh So I still haven't been doing it a tremendously long time.
0: That's good though.
1: But um, I've found like those are, I'm a little bit scared of them. I think that's, that's the easiest way to say it. I'm a little scared to grow them because I have bad luck with them. And you know, it's, once you have that bad luck plant, you kind of stay away from it for a little while until eventually you work up the nerve to get back into it and see and My out.
0: suggestion is go buy yourself a six-pack of broccoli right now from the nursery and put it in the ground somewhere, like now, right yeah. now, today, and just see what happens. Take take Acelin's word for it and just pick a spot, especially somewhere where your beans have been, where they got a lot of nitrogen in the soil mm-hmm. and give them a try. Because if you can get them harvested before the first freeze at this point, then you'll be fine. In addition to that, you're not gonna have as much of an issue with um, some of the pest pressures, the caterpillars are always a problem. They come in. And, uh, I was going to tell you that I don't know how much sunlight you have in your backyard, but one of the things I ran into, that was an issue with Roselle in town, was I didn't have quite enough sun all year long or like no. in the time that those plants are like a lot of sun. I have too much sun. Okay. They have so too you'll much be good. Sun. It's a, well, and an you open can, field basically. You would probably be able to grow it like a perennial like edible landscape type of thing um, because That's you're a little bit warmer. That's kind of what I'm warmer. going
1: for in, my, in my, yeah. my my area. It's basically um, most everything is edible. Uh-huh. Um, I have pollinators and then a couple of things just for pretty, uh-huh. but- Almost everything is just edible. That's what I go for. And I want it to be I want it to be, you know, attractive and mm-hmm. also edible. Like yeah. I wanna be able to just walk through my enchanted forest uh-huh. and I'll eat everything that I want to off of it.
0: You grow uh Turks cap?
1: I don't have Turk's cap. No, but I definitely got my Turk's Cap one. from you. That's where,
0: like... Yeah. Yeah, you should definitely get one of those and then before too long it'll seed itself in a couple other places. Mm. It's not like an ev- evasive cedar, but it will reseed itself. So you'll have other plants afterwards. Um, but that is a really good, it's in the same family as the Roselle and the cotton and the okra and the hibiscus and all those things that we grow really well. And it's a really pretty, um, edible landscape, perennial edible landscape. It will freeze back, um, if it's a hard freeze season. But in town where you guys are, uh, you probably wouldn't like have a major issue with it. I mean, that February 14th freeze killed everything. Well, it didn't kill everything, but it like knocked everything back. that was,
1: yes, it took everything at least down to the ground. Yeah. Um, I've had good luck recently with um, a Cuban pea flower. That's, it's (sighs) super perennial. It has these gorgeous like silvery dark green leaves Uh and um, a really, really pretty, and profuse blue flower that uh-huh. pops up constantly. I've, it's been flowering now for I want to say five months straight. It's That's been awesome. it hasn't stopped since it started. Where it did you get
0: stopped. that from? Did you plant a seed or no?
1: I got that. I bought the plant um, from Turners. I bought the plant okay. from Turners, and now it's a big bushy vine. I trim it back all the time, and it's always got flowers on it. And those flowers keep for a night. Like they you refrigerate them, they keep for a nice few days. Um, and you don't see a lot of flowers that keep their, like keep their looks for that long.
0: Okay. So are you using edible. those to make drinks? That they're, edible. they're edible. Yeah.
1: Um, you can also like dry them and then pout and then turn it into the blue powder that you can uh-huh. use for a natural dye or just to color your drinks. Um, butterfly pea flower is what they use to color the uh, 1908 Empress gin, that uh-huh. purple gin that everyone's a big fan of right now that turns pink. Nice. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've had a lot of luck with that one, and I really like it. And I've seen it die down to the ground and and come back also.
0: Okay, okay I need one of those plants. I
1: think you do. Yeah, I, I haven't had do. that
0: yet, but okay. So while we're on the subject, five years of the best bartender in the coastal bin—is it five or is it more than five? Something
1: like that. Yeah, let's, let's call it five.
0: Let's call it five. Let's, let's call
1: it five. I'll take five.
0: Yeah. So I have the best bartender in the coastal bin sitting here with me tonight um you actually came out to a farm to table dinner once a couple years ago and served up some drinks
1: yes using your produce i remember
0: yeah that was really cool so tell me what tell me about your job tell me your favorite parts tell me you know like tell me your craft
1: so um craft is the right word i would say because um i mean it's it's work it is um it is work but Um, the way i think of a craft is there's also a lot of artistry that goes into it and Mm -hmm. i feel like i could say that about about you know bartending or mixology you know you have to learn the technical aspects you have to know your techniques and what things go together and and what proportions but then also on top of that you have to be creative and think Mm -hmm. outside the box and like not only what flavors do you want to put together but how are you going to introduce them in the cocktail because there's not a whole lot of ways it's not like cooking where it's there's all these different types of meals like Mm -hmm. at the end this still has to be liquid i'm like i can't make a solid a drink i can't this still has to be liquid so that limits us and opens us up to a lot of things as well Mm -hmm. um it's it's really interesting and then i also love that i get to incorporate my other passion which is gardening into my bartending because i'll use the, the way I got into gardening is actually from bartending. Uh-huh. There was all these ingredients I wanted to try, and I wanted to taste them and see what they were like and see how they would be in a cocktail. But they just weren't available to me in, here in Corpus. So I decided I would just grow them myself, yeah. and um, that started my journey. And so for me, gardening and bartending have always, like always, always been hand-in-hand hand for me mm-hmm. um, since since I started it myself.
0: Finding the thing about gardening that really – draws you in to make it where it's not like, oh, we're trying to scare people into gardening, but like, what is the, what is the creative aspect of gardening that really will, will help you thrive in your gardens? Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you have a craft of cooking, or if you have a craft of making drinks or flower arranging,
1: I mean, there's so many other things. I mean, even if like, you want to be a, a witch doctor medicine yeah. woman like all there's yeah. all these things you can get, i want to be all that do. by the yes. way i oh, want to yeah, make drinks i want to do i want to do all, all of those that. Things. <laughs> yeah. like yeah i wanted to all start from my garden and then move outwards that's uh-huh. that's the thing um yeah and i just i think that's an important part of the craft is always learning and then always so it's really interesting the way you're seeing this craft being merged with so many other crafts you know the way we've always seen things happen that mm-hmm. way and um I'm interested to see the way it moves forward, like the way, especially here in Corpus. I think we have an opportunity to create our own culture, Uh our own cocktail culture, our own bartending culture, our own gardening culture, really. It's Uh a very, it's a, it's a singular climate, Uh you know, where it's, it's dry, but we're also on the coast. It's salty, but we also have fresh water, Uh um, it's a, it's a very unusual
0: environment. So it's we a could, great place to live in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, if we I could just it. get a li- if we could just get right past that lack mindset, that, yes. that's my- <laughs> yes. like, and I'm working on it. I'm like, mm-hmm. what are y'all talking about? We got everything. Everything's great mm-hmm. here. Like we yeah. have conversations on this podcast all the time about how great it is. There's, here.
1: there's <laughs> things that we can teach people not, I mean, about gardening, but then also just about, um, like local foodstuffs, the things yeah. that grow here that people have been eating here for centuries or for thousands of years, you know? persimmon and like all the different things that grow in the area. And I think that's an interesting thing that we could all stand to learn a lot more about.
0: Yeah. That's how you and I became friends across the bar or whatever. And apparently I have, uh, I have a lot of bartender friends. I have a lot of chef friends. What it shows you is that I love food and I love talking <laughs> to people. But it's kind of funny that I'm like, um, I know like every bartender in town, <laughs> all the good ones. Anyway, let's put it that way. The all ones, the ones, ones play, you want to know. The, what's Michael Green's drink that you know a lot of people ask for?
1: That a lot of people ask for. Okay, so um, one of the drinks that, especially when it's in season, basil season right now, uh-huh. basil's. Great right now. One of the things that people ask for a lot is they want something really refreshing. It's summertime. Uh My go-to for that is a gin basil smash. Uh It's just it's a very simple, easy cocktail. You pick a nice gin, some lemon juice, a little bit of sugar, and basil, and you shake the hell out of it and Uh strain it over ice. And you don't have to add a lot of other things to it. Does it need a lot of water to stretch it out or? or extra like Topo Chico or anything to make it more refreshing. The herbaceousness Uh does that for you. So you still get this nice kind of stiff drink that's very well balanced and super herbaceous and refreshing. So that's one I've been making a lot this summer.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's one also, um, during the season, in the summertime when watermelon is in season and delicious, um, I make a drink called the Lydia, which is named after my mother, and that's a watermelon and basil martini. Uh-huh. And that those flavors go wonderfully together, and that drink just—it's an amazing drink, and every, people wait till wait yeah. for the summer just so they can get that drink
0: yeah that's that's got to be a one a favorite of mine like watermelon anything but watermelon basil i love that any other drinks you want to tell our friends about especially during basil season as we finish out the basil or well, i guess we have well, got a few more months maybe i mean maybe. What I,
1: like the rest of the mixologists out there when we're trying to come up with new drinks or new flavor combinations when you're coming up think about the things that ripen together at the same time uh-huh. the things that grow together the things that ripen together they're almost certainly going to go well together right i mean So try that like, you know, you know, these two things ripen at the same time, mix them together, you know, summertime, basil and watermelon, mix them together, see what happens. Cucumber and basil, mix them together, see what happens. And you're going to get some good results when you pair things up that way. And it's a good starting point when you're trying to discover new flavor combinations.
0: Okay. Well, so then that makes me think about like planting companion style, like you plant Mm -hmm. companion style because when those two flavors are next to each other, they share some of the I don't know the, you used the word earlier, the aromatics, they share mm-hmm. the aromatics. And then like when you grow basil next to a tomato, it actually makes a tomato have a better flavor. Yes. Right. So that makes perfect sense to mm-hmm. me. I okay. mean, all this,
1: it's just, um, finding the connections between these things mm-hmm. and exploiting those connections. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds like a bad, a bad word, but I don't mean it that way. I mean, no, like, it's good. just using, using those connections to your best benefit to the, like, highlighting their best abilities.
0: Okay. So what about a good mocktail? Like that's one of the things I run into and I would really like to more often be able to just say, Hey, I just want a mocktail, you know? Okay. And <laughs> Gotcha.
1: So one thing I would say is, um, I don't like to use the word mocktails anymore. Okay. Well, cause I mean, inherently it sounds a little bit bad. It's like mocking.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and we're not doing that. We're still, um, there's no reason why zero-proof cocktails shouldn't be as
0: zero-proof cocktails. Zero that's what proof. we're calling them, right? Okay. Why it
1: shouldn't be as heightened and elevated as anything with the spirit in it. It's still uh-huh. you're still combining flavors in a way that's palatable and and nice, and you still want layered com- and complexity. So there's no reason why it should you should frown upon that. That being said, there are several ideas. Um, the easiest thing to do is start with a base flavor and then work out from there. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to start with herbs Mm -hmm. just because they add a lot of complexity and depth that you're going to be lacking from the, from the fact that the spirit's not there. Mm -hmm. That's usually the thing that's missing when people are making, um, zero proof cocktails, when they come out flat, it's because there's no body. Uh So you always have, you're always working to add, make sure that you're zero proof cocktail has body because you have a spirit to rely on to add that for you. Okay. So I find that herbs offer me a really nice backbone for mm-hmm. that. And, um, also some bittering agents are nice as well.
0: I've heard that the, the bitter, like, like I actually was listening to some show the other day and I loved, I just love it when some stuff starts to get mainstream and then you just get like more delicious and beautiful things because, mm-hmm. so you just walked out to the, bartender and said, uh, you know, bitters and soda or whatever. And I was like, oh, he's basically explaining that he's not drinking, Mm -hmm. but he's ordering from the bar. And I'm like, that's the world I want to live in without any question about it. Like I can go out with my group of friends and I can easily order and now i can say a zero proof cock what do you call it
1: a zero proof cocktail a
0: zero proof cocktail
1: i'd like to see those on on more menus honestly because there's no reason why people that don't drink should be excluded from from the cocktail scene or the cocktail conversation for that matter um and in larger cities zero proof cocktails are becoming more and more of a thing as people become more health conscious and especially around january you're seeing that pop up a whole lot more yeah yeah Um, So that's a big movement that's taking place right now in the, in the cocktail world.
0: When we went to New Orleans in February, um, I actually found that there was converse quite a bit of conversation about how people were drinking less and that more people were looking for, um, zero proof cocktails. Yes. And I thought, wow, how interesting. I didn't expect that. And I was there in that situation. I was there completely sober the entire time because I had, was dealing with some, pretty severe, um, autoimmune issues. And so I just, I, even at that point in the trip, I, I just couldn't, I had, I had to be serious about it and to go to the idea of going to new Orleans and not drinking cocktails. Right. Especially in February when it's like Mm -hmm. parade season and everything going on. But I, what I loved was that there were a lot and every, so like, every bathroom a, w- a group of women are standing in waiting in line to go to the bathroom conversations start someone would start talking about like how they weren't drinking and oh yeah we're not drinking and then you know, and then we'd get a conversation going. And for me, I'm finding that when I started the autoimmune protocol diet at the beginning of this year, it has been really a great. Like, it's been the biggest draw of people wanting to have more conversations with me about it because I think people are just not feeling well anymore. Mm-hmm. And not to say like, oh, well, I'm not encouraging everyone to stop drinking. I'm just saying that like, let's make it easier for when we choose not to, for when or you for choose when we not to. Yeah, yeah. whether it's um, whether it's just that night I've chosen not to because. I'm the driver or whether it's because I'm not feeling well physically and I just need to take better care of myself. Yeah, it doesn't have or... to be an
1: unattractive option to just yeah. not drink yeah. completely. It doesn't have to be yeah. that way. And you can still get a good drink. I feel like a lot of bar owners and um, bartenders for that matter are afraid. They're afraid of the zero proof. They're afraid that they'll become obsolete or something. We'll say, uh-huh. like, we still have to make these things. Right. And these people are still going out and seeking these things. That means there's still money to be made. That's a viable market share that if it's not catered to by us, then someone else is going to do it. Um, It's in our best interest to offer these things for people. Also, why wouldn't we want more designated drivers in our bar?
0: Right, exactly. I I
1: definitely want more sober people to be able to take the rest of these drunk people home.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's what I want. That's what I want as well. Where do you make all these lovely craft cocktails at?
1: So I work at The Post at Lamar Park. Mm -hmm. It's going to be in the Lamar Parking Shopping Center in uh, Corpus Christi, Texas.
0: I like to go there. I enjoy it. Um, but mostly i go there because i you're there <laughs> like that's that's my favorite bar to go to because you're there you do like to chat <laughs> like corny i'm like um no i'm sorry i need some michael green time right now <laughs> yeah come on down here let's talk about gardening or whatever yeah it's
1: kind of fun so no, if you're willing to wait in line there's always there's always <laughs> i'm always available
0: i know after you kept winning um because i don't know like i don't know if i met you like right maybe the first year you won or something like that
1: i don't think so I I think when when we met, I hadn't won yet. Well, it's I had, okay. I hadn't so started winning yet.
0: exactly. So now I'm like now I'm comp- now I'm like now I have to compete for time with the the best bartender in the whole corporate pussy <laughs> that's one like the whole Coastal Bend. I mean, come on, you might as well be like famous or something. Like you could be just the president. Locally,
1: just locally. Just locally.
0: <laughs> Big fish in a small pond. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I'm a fan. <laughs> yeah. I'm
1: not going anywhere.
0: I yeah. I am um I'm kind of glad to be somewhat removing myself from the scene. I can't say that I've completely removed myself from the scene, but I feel like I needed a break.
1: I could see that, but the scene was definitely better with you in it.
0: <laughs> so uh,
1: we, yeah. we, um, I'll come back we're awaiting your return.
0: That's good. So, um, and what other kinds of things do you do whenever you're not gardening and making craft cocktails? So
1: besides working at the post, um, I do private events. I bartend private events. I do um, consulting work for um, bars and restaurants and I do ah. training. I do training for um, different bartenders in different groups nice. as well
0: nice have you made any other bars menus around town
1: i'm working i'm looking forward to it actually
0: we do the random questions and i pull those out of a box of table topic questions so this could be like anything and i've put together a stack of cards here and um so i'm gonna let you draw and then you can give the card back to me and i'm gonna ask you the question first this week so all right what did we get here
1: what did we get
0: What's the most embarrassing moment you've witnessed?
1: Witnessed? Uh-huh. Um,
0: You're a uh, bartender. You probably am. <laughs> that's, the, that's, the,
1: that's the part. Is I, there's a lot, and I'm trying to just pick one out that's that I can say out loud. <laughs> um, I witnessed a human. Um, I, I feel like she had a lot of fun this particular day. And um she she vomited in our bathroom but like it wasn't like a sad vomit. she was very happy about it um like she was still very cheerful and on her way out of the building she may or may not have um pooped herself a little bit <laughs>
0: so that's
1: one that's the most
0: embarrassing no moment. that's just she the that's just, just the first thing that
1: that's like the most recent that's yeah. the most recent but i've been a bartender for about 12 to 15 years or so so i've seen oh, i've seen a lot of things i'm
0: probably somebody's story i mean it would have been from like 20 years ago but 25 years ago but uh but i'm, I'm probably somebody's story somebody's
1: most embarrassing thing they <laughs> yeah. have ever seen
0: yeah I'm you get to, to see a lot though. in these
1: times you get to see a lot of stuff and i'm thinking i blocked out a lot of it because there's always a new one like every weekend there's a new oh, most my. embarrassing thing to take the place of the of the previous thing so man we are
0: promoting the shit out of drinking dr- getting drunk around oh, yes, it, you you know? like, like oh, we're making it sound like, very attractive yeah like oh yeah. it's a good thing that we're going to start selling zero proof cocktails because yes <laughs> yes for
1: when you want to take a break and when you yeah. don't want to poop yourself
0: oh like, the worst thing i've ever done like that really that i i can that i can remember is um is i get in a habit of just like walking off and i'll just walk for like miles and miles and people can't find me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's mm. that's what, I've done that a couple times. I mean it's been years. I'm not even kidding. Like I it's I when I had kids, I just couldn't anymore. And it and it wasn't because I was like the most wonderful mom who doesn't drink, you know, it was because who the hell can get up after that shit and deal <laughs> with those little pricks like <laughs> like no I cannot so anyway my kids were not pricks they were lovely you just had actually.
1: to be at your best in yeah room. yes
0: yeah okay most embarrassing I'm gonna hit you hard with a good one like okay. um uh I'm gonna tell the story on someone else but it's happened to me too um that uh the dog took the girl stuff out of the bathroom trash can and oh. brought it into the living room in the middle of like a party oh no. <laughs> That's actually happened, my dog has that's kind of happened before, so when a girl discovers that the dog is in the middle of a room full of people chewing on her bathroom trash trash um yeah, and then you have to figure out how to like get it away from the dog and Shit. get it and don't <laughs> cause a scene no, also causes, not more of a, a scene a string. <laughs> Oh. Like, do you
1: pull? Like, do you try to pull the string out at that point, or do you just let the dog have it?
0: I don't know. Do the you... person that was telling me a story about this happening to them, they, they were telling me the story, and I was like, "This is not as unusual as your." It's not. I mean, like, it's happened to me before. I'm like, and they were like, and then the dog swallowed it, and. <laughs> I was like, oh, uh, yeah.
1: Of course he swallowed He thought it was a fresh kill.
0: So. Yeah. Ooh, oh. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, this is a perfect way to end the night. It's way. a good way. It's a good
1: ending. It's a good ending.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for you guys coming. Thank you, Kimberly, for being here. I'm so it's glad. It was a great conversation at the dinner table with all of us. Thank you all friends for being here at the dinner table with me as usual every week. I appreciate you. Uh, It's so much fun. I've said this before, but I am, you know, it's just having people to your house once a week to basically have a little dinner party and then talk about, I mean,
1: anything and everything,
0: anything and everything, whatever we want to talk about, whatever, you know, you think about like you're sitting down at a dinner table with your friends and what kinds of conversations can come at the table. Anything. Anything. Yeah. And so that's essentially what we're doing here at the Dinner Table Talks. And I had a great time with you tonight, Michael. I had a great time as well. Talking about it was anything. a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you all so much for being with me. If you need anything, you know where to get a hold of me. Thank you again for those of you that are supporting the podcast and for those of you that are patrons. Uh, I am posting up uh, new gardening, especially gardening videos these days. Um, so if you're interested in becoming a patron, please just message me and I'll give you the details on that. Otherwise I will see you at the dinner table next week. Bye friends.